This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we discuss the civilian route to becoming an aviation maintenance technician. We have with us a special guest, Dean Showalter, aviation maintenance technician, podcaster. He's going to help us understand the life of a civilian aviation mechanic. But first, a few announcements. First of all, congratulations uh, to Nick Schaffo for passing his instrument check ride. Uh, Nick is my nephew, and I actually got to go out to the airport and congratulate him. It was really cool. and got my picture there. So check it out on my Instagram uh, page there, instagram.com uh, slash Carl Valeria. I've been putting more and more photos out there. People have been telling me they like them, so uh, I'm going to try to keep up with that. I like Instagram quite a bit, so I'm going to keep on doing that. Also, if you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, please write us feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, maybe you have a special story that you want to share. I can read it, or we'd love to have you as a guest on the podcast. You can actually click on Be a Guest on the side of the uh, screen right there. It says Be a Guest on the podcast on aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, don't forget, we have the scholarships guide and also the career coaching and the online courses. And you can uh, look at the scholarships guide and notice that at the bottom for December, 60 new scholarships and three updates are there coming out with a new January update. $10 gets you access for a one full year. You can actually go to aerospace-scholarships.com or click on the scholarships tab at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Well, with no further ado, we have a very special guest with us today, uh, somebody who's going to help us understand the life of a civilian airplane mechanic and how to become an aviation maintenance technician. Hey, Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carl. It is great to be here for sure. Yeah, this is awesome. We uh, actually had Dean on uh, our sister podcast uh, just talking about uh, aviation maintenance uh, for owners. Very, very interesting stuff. You know, a whole other uh, show there, which was uh, very important, I think, to learn more about airplanes. I'd, I'd highly recommend uh, you going to his show. You'll understand, you know, when you're learning about airplanes, you learn about systems and stuff like that. Well, sometimes Dean takes a, a deep dive into some of those systems and talks about maintenance, and you can learn so much from him. Hey, Dean, what's the, what's the website for that, by the way? The website is airplaneownermaintenance.com. AirplaneOwnerMaintenance.com. You can also find them in iTunes, and I highly recommend you uh, subscribing to that if you want to learn more about airplanes and how they work, because that's going to be a big part of your career. Uh, but uh, anyway, let, first of all, Dean is actually uh, an aviation maintenance technician, which uh, we talk about. Some people call it something different, I think AMP or something like that. So I mean, maybe you could kind of give us a little more color. What is that? What is an aviation maintenance technician? Sure. An aviation maintenance technician is, uh, like you said, is called many times an A&P mechanic or A&P. So the A is airframe and the P is power plant, airframe and power plant. So the power plant is the engine portion of the airplane and the airframe is pretty much everything else. So when we get our A&P, uh, theoretically, we can work on the whole airplane. So the can you get and this kind of comes up as a question a lot, a lot of people have do you just get an aviation maintenance technician you add on these other ratings or is it do you get one like for airframe and then paraplane is it two separate things Uh that's an interesting question I I believe you can get a you can get an airframe 
certificate to work on just the airframe portion, or you can get a power plant certificate to work on that portion. But by far, I think the most common route is that we just get the A and P together. It's typically taught together, so it makes total sense just to get both of them together. Right, and that's and then, that's why we then talk you'll come about out them. with your yeah, you'll come out with your. A and P certificate. Right. Right. And that's where I think most people think of, because, you know, if you just, cause you're kind of working on both of them, uh, especially when you're looking at mechanics for, uh, smaller airplanes, general aviation aircraft, etc. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is, is your journey to the, the actual, uh, cockpit, but also cause you're a pilot too. And also your journey into becoming a mechanic. We'll talk a little bit about being a mechanic, but but first of all, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people and what we love to do here is make people realize that, you know, getting there, getting to the point where you're a mechanic or you hear us all talking, we've been doing this for 20 years, don't think at all that it didn't come with some effort and at times challenges, sometimes real struggles. And we've all been there and gone through that. So, you know, if you're listening, just remember that that's something that kind of happens to everybody. And I know, Dean, you this hasn't been without some of its challenges. So tell us, give, you know, bring us through some of the journey into uh, becoming a airframe mechanic in your life. Okay, sure. Yeah, Maria and I, my wife and I, we were married in 1991. And then shortly after that, we drove down to Tennessee, moved to Northeast Tennessee. And that's where I went to school at a place called Moody Aviation. It was actually a missionary aviation training school. And the whole first year was A&P school. So to cram the whole thing into one year was was a lot for me. I, I did not have a lot of mechanical background before that. And just uh, about the little personal struggle there, I was so... Uh, overwhelmed with the work that I needed to do there and trying to do all that, that one of the stories that my wife remembers is that I didn't even want to take time out to pick some blackberries one day with my wife. So that didn't go over too well. So we had to work out a couple of things like that. And it was a very, very intense and busy time. But she was also very gracious because she had just gotten out of nursing school before we we were married and so she paid my way through aviation school working as a home health nurse so i'm super grateful to maria for that and that's how i got through amp school i was we were in tennessee for three years and when i got out of there i had my amp certificate and i had i also had my commercial flight certificate along with an instrument rating and some flight but not really enough to get much of a flying job. So we moved back to Virginia, and I got a job working at a local maintenance shop. So that's kind of how I got started. Interesting. Now, when you went went that route, uh, this just doesn't happen overnight. It takes some time. Uh, there's a couple different ways to get get there and gain the experience. Because when you get your license, it's not like like say a drone license where you study books, you take a test, and you on you have your license. You actually have to do stuff. You have to turn wrenches. You have to actually learn the paperwork, etc. So um, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can do that both through the experience or going through a school. Now this. Uh, place you went was one of those schools where you could get everything done a little bit quicker. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Because it was an approved school, an FAA approved school, they were able to get us through the whole portion in one year. And so, like you said, if you go the different route, there's basically three ways. You can go through an A&P school, you can get your A&P in the military, or you can work in a shop under supervision for 30 months 
in order to get the A&P, or if you want to get a separate airframe or power plant, then you can work for 18 months respectively for either one of those. And so a lot of the guys that I have worked with in our shop at Classic Aviation, they have actually worked in that shop for two and a half years or 30 months, and then they would be eligible to take the test. But one of the things to think about, though, is that when you go through an AMP school like I did or any of the other ones out there, preparation for the test and actually taking the test is usually part of the process, whereas after you work two and a half months and get that experience, like you said, then you're not finished, but you are eligible to get your paperwork lined up and then go take the test. So uh, I, I've got a place, if you're willing to talk about it a bit, that I would highly recommend for that part of it. But yeah, there, there's the three basic ways. Right. So that, that two and a half years, by the way, not two and a half months. But yeah, I know the 30 months. And that's actually something that I think people don't realize. A lot of times you just cram for some of these tests. Like, for instance, a private pilot, you don't have to do anything. You could just cram for that exam through one of these uh, little, you know, testing services, et cetera, but not so much on the, the uh, airframe and power plant. I think you have to actually get signed off for all that. So, yes. um, yeah, that's yes. kind of interesting. But anyway, yeah, if you want to plug somebody, I'd really like to hear it. Yeah, so if you do the, if you work somewhere for, and if I said two and a half months, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, that would be way too quick. <laughs> two and a half years um, somewhere, 30, 30 months, and then you are prepared to take the test, there's a place in Tennessee, and there's probably multiple ones around the country, but Baker School of Aeronautics, and I believe we have a link for them in the show notes, but that, I, I cannot say enough good about that facility, because after you have your 30 months of experience, then you can get your letter of approval from the FAA, and you can go there for about two weeks, or maybe it's not quite that long, but uh, I forget what they say. I think it's like 10 to 13 days average. And it's like about $1,700. So it's a little bit of money, but you go there and they prepare you to take all the required tests at that point, which are in addition to your experience. So you're going to take all the written tests. You're going to take a general and a power plant and an airframe test. And then you also have to do oral testing and practical testing. But Baker School of Aeronautics, I got my inspection authorization certificate or uh, add-on there years ago. And this school is run by some ladies who are – they're such great teachers, and they absolutely know their material. So it's a really great place to do that, Baker School of Aeronautics in Tennessee. Yeah, I won't put a link to that. And, uh, of course, there are so many schools out there, so many wonderful schools uh, to get your – say you don't want to leave your area, I'd highly recommend, you know, start searching for them. I know the FAA has a website you can search for some. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times people do travel. Sometimes that's good to travel to go to school, so you're really concentrating on it. That's after you get the experience. One of the things that's interesting, too, is what you just said. You have an inspection authorization. So you took this general, the airframe, and the power plant, and you took this oral exam – along with a practical now to as a mechanic you can't do everything you have you have to to become an inspection authorized type of mechanic that's a that's a special authorization what difference is there between a, uh, just uh, getting your amp and having the ia as they call it the inspection authorization uh yes the ia is kind of an advanced rating past the A&P. So you have to have three years of experience actually working as an A&P 
until you can be eligible to take the test to become an IA. And the some of the main differences are an IA can sign off an annual inspection on an aircraft, whereas an A&P can sign off a 100-hour inspection. And then also the IA is needed if you want to sign off a like a 337 form for a major repair or a major alteration. So is in your experience, now we're talking civilian route. Of course, uh, we're going to have somebody on to talk about the military route. They're really looking for mechanics in the military right now. I think everybody is. Um, sure. <laughs> but one of the things as far as getting experience I, I think is uh, kind of daunting to me, and I'd love to be a mechanic someday, is how do you do that? I mean, what do you just run up to someone and say, hey, do you mind if I come get some experience in your shop? I mean, how do you go about doing that? Well, pretty much, yes, you can do that. <laughs> if you have an interest, uh, let's say you are uh, uh, somebody who is, perhaps you're taking some flying lessons, and that gets you close to the airport, and you are learning about airplanes, and while you're doing that, maybe you venture into the maintenance shop one day, and you and you meet some of the, the technicians in there, and you have some conversations, and it builds an interest, and you think, I would really like to do that, and so you go to the manager, and you say, do you have any openings here? And they say, well, we don't have a lot, but maybe you could help us with some little things here and there uh, part-time, and maybe it would work into a full-time thing. And before you know it, you've got a full-time job there working under supervision, and you're well on your way to getting your civilian A&P. So the, the route of going away to school is one, but uh, if you want to stay in your local area, you can definitely do it. You just have to, you know, a, part, a big part of it is just have to network. You just have to get out there and show yes. an interest, yes. you know. And you can tell yeah. you can tell the people that are really interested in it. And uh, what's really cool is shout out to Carl, who's actually at a, at a shop that listens to the podcast. Uh, I went over to one of the flight schools he was working at, and he was thinking about going the airline route and aviation, you know, as far as a pilot. And I, I was in the shop actually getting my airplane repaired, and uh, he shows up. Of course, he's got a big beard now, and I didn't recognize him. He says, oh, yeah, we met a few years ago. I became a mechanic, and I decided to do it this way. And he actually loves, absolutely loves what he does and, and the work type wow. of work he does. So I really, yeah. it's really exciting. So with that said, I mean, if there's anything else we're forgetting as far as getting there, there's some really good websites out there, How to Become a Mechanic. And uh, one of them is the Bureau of Labor Statistics actually has a pretty decent write-up about it. I do point to that quite a bit because, uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about pay and things like that. And uh, it's one of my favorite places to go because, uh, especially if you notice, I have guests on, I ask them about pay. And obviously, they're not, we don't reveal their pay, but this is a mm -hmm. great thing here to look at. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that later. But what else, did we forget anything as far as the routes? I know we said schools, experience, and military. Those are the three big ones, right? Yeah, yeah, those are the big ones. And I think it's important to also, if you're able to determine what you want to end up doing, that would be important. So if you want to fly an F-22 Raptor, then by all means, you need to go in the military. But <laughs> if you love small airplanes and you like working with people, then civilian can be really important. And I do have an opinion. This is my opinion. But uh, I think it is a great option to actually go to an A&P school and then go to a shop and get some really great experience working on airplanes. Because I, I kind of feel like there might be something a little bit missed if you, if you only work in a shop and then take the tests. You're going to miss certain aspects because the A&P school is required to cover uh, all these topics. 
And while I don't use many of those day to day, it still provided a good foundation for me. And so I, I very much, though, recognize that when I got out of A&P school, I was very green and I, I desperately needed some practical real world experience because sometimes the way things are done in the A&P school, they're just not going to work in the real world. So uh, I, I think A&P school, like a one or two year A&P school and then some time in a shop is a really great way to go. Now, another thing to keep in mind, though, is that the first year or two or three or four m might be really hard. And so one of the things I've been thinking about these aviation careers, it probably applies to a lot of the ones you talk about. And that is don't give up too soon. But on, on the other hand, uh, don't stay too long in a place you're miserable in. Uh, but sometimes it requires some perseverance because in my early days, I would say it took me about five years to really get to where I was in a good groove and confident. And in the early days, I, there were days when I was so miserable that we had, it was back in the days when we had newspapers. The airline terminal had a little newspaper stand. On the way home from work, I can't tell you how many days I would stop and pick up a newspaper and look at the jobs that were available because I thought there has got to be something better. I even looked at a poultry packaging plant nearby. So that tells you uh, kind of my situation. But after I, I got through that, I learned I got to the point where I really enjoyed it so much more. Uh, that's interesting. So it's not, it wasn't all roses, flowers, and smelling great. It was time when it did stink a little bit, right? <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I had very many miserable days to get to the place where I really thoroughly enjoyed it most of the time. Yes. Interesting. Now, why was that? Why do you think that you had that uh, in your life as far as it being kind of miserable like that? Uh, well, there was a combination of things. Um, one of the things that uh, is certainly... A related factor is that we work, we always work with people. <laughs> and there's always people, challenges and dynamics and relational difficulties that you encounter. And so I, I don't know of a shop that doesn't experience some of that along the way. So we had a few of those going on. Uh, part of it was my, just my lack of experience. And I, I was not I was not very confident. And honestly, in the early days, I always find this a challenge to have us do work efficiently. But I think I was pretty slow in the beginning. And in my A&P school days, I remember one of the guys in charge of the shop, he filled out one of my time cards that I was working there one summer. And he said, he put a note on there. He said, steady, dependable worker, but very slow. So, so that was really hard. And over the years, I think I've gotten faster and more efficient at things. But we never want to sacrifice safety for the sake of working faster. But I do believe it's important to try to work efficiently for the airplane owner. So uh, those were some of my difficulties. Um, after that, yeah, go ahead. You know, I was going to say that I, I think we all kind of go through those phases and different things. You know, sometimes we're not quite as yeah. efficient. But, uh, but I'm, I'm so glad you relayed that. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that whole efficiency thing, um, I do think that perhaps it, it's easier to take somebody who is a little bit slower at things and have them speed up and learn how to do it faster than it is to take somebody who is just haphazard and careless and all those things and have them make the change to working more dependably and safely. So uh, slow in the beginning in a lot of endeavors, I think, is maybe not such a bad thing. 
So one of the things you mentioned going back was uh, getting experience and looking at what you want to do. You know, you're talking about if you want to do the F-22, the Raptors, then the military route is the way to go. But there's some military folks listening right now that are mechanics. And I know that there's actually we've had one on where it was a little daunting going the other way. And I'm sure you've met some of those folks where they've been working on jets all their life and all of a sudden they're thrown in front of this piston aircraft and they haven't really seen a piston aircraft since uh, their training or even hardly at all. Uh, So those are challenges too, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yes. In fact, we have a gentleman in our shop right now at Classic Aviation where uh, he was in the military years ago. And I need to talk with him and find out more about what he did. But I don't think he even got his A&P in the military, and then he ended up uh, leaving there some years ago, and he actually went through an A&P school and worked there for a while, and now he is working in our shop as an A&P doing annual inspections and things, and um, it's almost like he's needing to start over again, though, really, because the small airplanes are – they're pretty different and so it, it's like this world of general aviation. You have to learn the specific airplanes that you're working on. So, right. yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this you're and you're in the military, make sure you try to get your certificate um, before you get out. So let the military pay for it. Or maybe like a friend of mine, he actually still was able to have the military pay for it when he got out. So, uh, so okay. th- things to look at in your situation. But, uh, you know, one of the things that concerns people, too, is, the ability to actually make a living. And, uh, and Dean, you can back me up on this. I'm going to just quote the stats. You know, uh, Sometimes it's the best way to go. But the median wage, they say, for uh, aircraft mechanics and service technicians, this brings in everybody that work for the airlines and everything, is like $62,000. Uh, and they say the lowest 10% is around 36 and the highest 10% is around 97 uh, Talking about more like the non-schedule, like air transport and stuff like that, they're saying, more like along the the 59s, that kind of thing. Um, As far as mechanics like that you've run into in the general aviation world, um, what do you think the ranges would be? Just kind of if you can throw a number out there, if you possibly can do that. Yeah, that's a little bit hard for me to do because I haven't studied that real heavily. But uh, in, in my area here, I would think perhaps this is a large range, but there, there might be a range of uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to thirty dollars an hour, maybe. Um, and but now I'm sure there are areas where uh, you can certainly make more. And if you go to the airlines, uh, I've I've heard that you can make more. So. Um, I would say somewhere in that range, though. Yeah, so that that's uh, that's about along the lines of what they're talking about on the in the stats. So, um, you know, really the the low side, you know, the fifteen dollars and up to the thirty, which is actually, you know, that that's pretty good. Um, you get to work. Uh, you're a lot of times, and sometimes we are under the impression that. Uh, you're always working with your hands, and uh, you're you're out in the cold. You're you're in a hot hangar, etc. There's more to the job than just turning wrenches, and I think this is something people have to realize. There's so much that is involved in your head in trying to diagnose problems, and also the one really important part making sure it's legal and the paperwork is done. So uh, I'm kind of curious, how much of your job do you think is, uh, and in general, is actually turning wrenches and having fun diagnosing and then actually doing the paperwork part? Is it like, you know, 10% paperwork or is it more than that? That's a great question. Um, 
it's a little bit hard for me to guess that it, it might be a little more than 10%, maybe 20%. Uh, but it, it's still a fair bit of action working on the airplanes and troubleshooting and, and uh, helping other people and things like that. So, but definitely you're, you're absolutely right. The paperwork is a big part of it and it makes me thankful. I've been thankful many, many times for my high school English teacher, Miss Beachy. She's no longer alive, but she drilled into us good writing techniques. And to this day, I think that has affected my writing logbook entries and maintenance record entries. So yeah, that's a big part of it. Going back to the private aviation, the private aircraft, and uh, the type of work you can do, even so, we know what the airlines are. They work on uh, the turboprops, the turbojets, large airlines. Folks are gone for a while. You have to go to a maintenance base. Private aircraft jobs can really vary. I mean, some of these shops are. Uh, well, actually, some of these private aviation jobs, you could actually be working full-time as a mechanic for them, depending on their fleet of aircraft. But uh, most of the jobs that we see out there or that I see at my airport are people working as mechanics for the maintenance shop. So just to give us a feel, what type of airplanes do do most of you folks work on? Are they like the Cessnas, the Jets? I mean, what what kind of things do you work on? Well, we don't work on very many jets. We have worked on some turboprops through the years, but by far we have worked on mostly small single and twin engine piston powered airplanes. And so we work on pretty much the full range from the little fabric covered tail draggers occasionally, not not too many of those anymore, but typically it's going to be the full range of Cessnas, Beechcraft, Piper, Diamond, Cirrus, Grumman, and those types of airplanes. So do these people that own these airplanes, are they uh, usually using them for recreational purposes or is it for business? I think it's a combination. Some are personal and some are business, and then there's a combination of that. So, yeah, we definitely have a combination. Yes. Yeah. So a good example is I... Um, like one of my neighbors in my hangar, he actually is a dentist and sometimes he'll go out and do some volunteer work and using his airplane to go certain places like the islands and stuff like that. But primarily he uses his plane to go out and actually go diving and go fishing and stuff like that. And then I see another person on the other side of me who's a salesman and goes out and actually uses his plane quite often to get to sales jobs that he wouldn't see otherwise. So you have this, it's an incredible mix and it's kind of cool. You can mix the two, you know, pleasure of flying with, with the, you know, working. I think that's awesome. Oh, (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yes. So sure. One, one of the things about your job that it really, I'm wondering is, you know, from yourself, but also from the other folks there, why do you guys like doing that? Why do you like being a mechanic? Well, well, can I back up a bit? Sure. Uh, I I haven't always liked being a mechanic, honestly. When I got out of school, I thought I wanted to fly more. So liking being a mechanic has really grown on me, actually. And so I do love it today, but it wasn't that way when I got out of A&P school. And now that I say that, that was probably part of my struggle back then. But uh, if I could just share a little personal story here. Um, About, I would say about five years in, after I'd been working in my current job, uh, back when I was, maybe I was still getting the newspapers, and I was really still trying to fly for the airlines. And around that time, we had, I think we had uh, maybe two kids. Maybe our our son was just born. We Our daughter was maybe two. And that was a really hard time because I was still desperately trying to go to the airlines. I think I even worked up a resume. And 
I, I don't remember if I actually sent it or not, and it was causing some strife between my wife and me because I was trying to do that, and she was worried, are you going to move us clear across the country? And so, I, and specifically, I don't remember what year it was, but it was maybe 1999 or 2000, maybe somewhere in there, maybe 99. I remember it was January the 1st, and this was one of those moments where um, – uh, this is a faith and family story for me. I was sitting at the kitchen table, and honestly, I felt like God was dealing with my heart and bringing me to a place of surrender. And honestly, I had tears running down my face, and finally I said, I will give that up. And I gave up that dream for flying for the airlines. And it was absolutely the right thing to do because it was about that five-year mark, and after that experience— I really got into enjoying being a mechanic so much more. And so from then until now, it's been a very different thing. So the, it's been very much of a process for me. to I've, I've had to learn to love being a mechanic, if that makes any sense. Sure, it does. And I, it, what's interesting, and I love this, that you've told this, is because sometimes we don't realize that we get we get into something we don't realize what we might like about it and sometimes you may not like it but certain aspects you will and and sometimes it's our own attitude towards it that changes why we like something and and you know some people know my background i've shared it many times and you know for a while uh, quite some time i sold seafood for a living and uh yeah. i wound up i was like you know i'm really not into this and then i got into it and i was like you know i really love this and i didn't i didn't really think i'd like doing it but i actually found up loving it but it had to do with my attitude more than anything else and sometimes we we do that you know sometimes we're not following our passion but become passionate about something because we followed it and yeah. it also yeah. can be through you know through our faith or whatever. It's not. It's just something inside us turns on and it changes our attitude yes. towards that. And then that was especially in your case. Um, Absolutely. And and, and it, it also turned out that my wife she was still working part time as a nurse during that time, and I w in those days I, I was able to stay home one day a week with our kids while she was working that day. And it, it has been a fantastic schedule, honestly. It's been a great schedule for my family because a lot of, the, a lot of my career, I have worked four days a week there at the airport. Wow. So it was, def, it was definitely a great, great thing for my family, for me at that time. I know every situation is different, but for me personally, it was very good for me to, to pursue the career as a hometown AMP. And I have done a fair amount of flying along with that in small airplanes. So, yeah, it's been great for the family. So a little bit more about that, because you touched on something that's really important to a lot of people, is uh, when you work for the airlines, whether it's as a mechanic or as a pilot, a lot of times you have to go away and your hours are a little bit different. You know, I hear about my buddies, you know, they come to work at like one in the morning and then mm. they go home at eight in the morning. Uh, normally at like a hometown airport or a mechanic shop, you don't normally do that, do you? So kind of give us some color there. Do you, I mean, how many overnighters have you done at the maintenance shop? Very, very few. In fact, my schedule these days, uh, this is generally, it's uh, Monday through Thursday, 7 to 6. Oh, and wow. so uh, I have Thursday, Friday, and Saturday off uh, to do other things, like pursuing the podcast and other, other adventures that I wanted to go on. So that's been really great. Uh, in the past, there was a season where I was working 5.30 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon, and I liked that while that was going on. So 
yeah, it's been a great schedule. Yeah, and you won't probably have that with the airlines, uh, especially. Well, where that happens, those good schedules that come in when you get more seniority, and I, you know, I talk to some of our mechanics. It's amazing. It takes them like ten years to get a really good schedule. Sometimes, depending on the base, you know, depending where you are. Uh, but you know, you hear all those, you know, changing a tire in the middle of the winter uh, in Chicago. Uh, you, you don't normally get that when you're doing this type of work for uh, in private aviation, uh, which is kind of cool. I mean, that does happen every so often. Don't get me wrong. There's uh, and some of my mechanic friends are going to get very mad at me for saying this because yeah. <laughs> I do I do know you go out there in some really tough conditions to fix airplanes. Oh yeah, uh, and and that's a part of the job. So um, the so there are times that that happens. So you do have to deal with the climate, um, which brings up another point, uh, Dean. Is how about you know physically? Do you do you feel that you can do this job? Uh, what if you have some kind of physical impairment? Are there are there opportunities in this field? Uh, yes, I, I think so. D- and, and surely it would depend on what the physical impairment is. I mean, you do have to have certain capabilities as far as, uh, I I'm thinking all of a sudden of crawling under the instrument panel that you got to tweak around all kinds of weird ways to do that. Um, but I'm probably not a, an expert on all the things that somebody can do if they have a physical impairment, but yes, I would say certainly there are some options. Yeah. So if you're looking at this as a job, you uh, look at what you can do. And I know that uh, many people don't realize they can do things uh, even with some type of an impairment, but definitely uh, go out and check it out. Uh, One of the things I also want to touch on too is um, the the aviation part of your life, if you don't mind us going into that, is uh, you talk a lot about flying. um, So I guess I should ask, what type of uh, pilot certificates do you have? Uh, At this point, I have uh, commercial pilot certificate and, uh, instrument rating. I also have a, a multi-engine rating and a flight instructor certificate. I have not gotten, gotten the double I, the instrument instructor yet, but I've, I've thought about that many times, but, um, that those are the ones that I have. And one of the most fascinating things I did years ago was I got to do some flying for the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries, and we did some low-level waterfowl survey work and then also some river survey work. So that was a lot of fun years ago. And then other than that, it's been transporting airplanes to here and there for people mainly. So if you don't mind, let's kind of go into that that whole journey. I mean, we have some time, so... uh you had started, you were talking about becoming a, a mechanic, and uh, it was more out of something that you felt was a better route for you in your career. But you started off, I think you said, wanting to be an airline uh, pilot. So what kind of changed that route? Well, uh, it, was that, it was that season that I talked about that I had to, I had to give that up. Um, because it was the right thing to do at the time for my family. And um, I I just honestly felt like that was precisely what God was leading me to do at that time. But my interest in aviation didn't go away. And honestly, I I still get so fascinated with the air. I could sit at those big airports and watch them take off and land for hours. Um, But there was a season in there where my whole flying uh, the whole the wind got knocked out of my sail completely. It was the last day of 2010, and at our local airport here, there was a bad accident. A, a helicopter crashed into a Cessna 172, and a couple of young men were killed And uh, that were very, very close to the airport community here. And 
I just I did not want to go. I didn't want to get in an airplane and get airborne. I would do a ground run up, but I did not want to even leave the ground at all for about eight or nine months. And I really struggled with that because the the flying was part of the whole deal that really fascinated me. And so I dealt with that for quite a long time. And then finally one day, a good friend of mine, we were loading up some sound equipment after church one day. And he we were talking, and somehow this came up. And, and my friend Steve, he said, Dean, you need to get past that fear. He said, you were created to fly. And it really made me think deeply that day. And then shortly after that, I had an opportunity to get into an epic aircraft, experimental aircraft, and take a ride to Georgia because there was a Piper Arrow that needed to be brought back to our shop for some maintenance work. And I specifically remember that day. It was one of those, <laughs> when I was in school, uh, they had come up with this word for bad weather. It was schmatzy. That's what we called it. It was a schmatzy day. It was one of those nasty, cold, rainy, nasty days that you just want, don't want to go flying. And I got this bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I, it was about time to get in this airplane. And I just thought, man, I just don't know. And I thought, I just need to do this. And so I got in that airplane we took off, we got in the soup pretty quickly, and then almost that quickly, we popped out on top of it, and it was one of the most absolutely beautiful, above-the-overcast days that I have ever seen in my life. And Carl, you've probably seen that many times, but for me, it, it just totally fascinates me. And that, and I had to get my journal out and start writing because this was, it turned out to be such a great day, and I got to fly the Piper Arrow all the way back. But this whole experience impacted me so much that I have actually reserved the domain name for a website above the overcast.com. At first it was .net, and then I finally saw the .com one day, so I snatched it up. So it's, it's just an inspiration for me to try to share with other people that when we come across these times in life where we are so burdened down by these things, sometimes we need to find a way to get above the overcast. And you've gotten above the overcast in your life. And I think that's so awesome, that story. Uh, we can't see, wait to see what you do with that. But um, th those challenges that you overcame, uh, I think we many times have that. Something that's uh, difficult for us to discuss sometimes is that there is risk involved, but there's risk involved in many things we do in life. Uh, yes. and, and we do have to understand those risks. And uh, we try to mitigate them as much as possible. And sometimes it's it's hard to understand that certain things do happen in life, certain accidents happen, no matter what we do for a living, and uh, whether it's driving to work, you know, the train, flying on an airplane, etc. Uh, and so when you when you finally come to grips with that, it's it's not you realize you do have some control, but not a hundred percent control. But that's true in anything in life. You know, oh, yes, absolutely. It's, it's just the, the way it is. And uh, I'm glad you shared that because it, it, there's a lot of folks that are listening. And some of my students that actually when we've had, uh, you know, I have one in particular that decided to get out of aviation because of an incident we had together. Uh, and it took me, to be honest with you, it took me, it took me a couple of days to get back in an airplane. Uh, it shook sure. me up so much. And it's similar to you, taking some a few months off. And, and we all kind of go through that sometimes and, uh, and realize, yeah, there are some negatives to this. Um, um, but, uh, you know, 
there's there's a difference. You know, we don't want to live a life of mediocrity and unfulfilled dreams. We want to we want to live a life that that truly is something we design and something that uh, we can talk about later and and just love and enjoy uh, past memories. And and at times, yeah, there are risks involved. It's just like traveling overseas or traveling wherever to go on vacation. That's a risk right there. Um, so so we do have to talk about that. There's risks also in the maintenance shop. Um, you know, I've I've actually lost a friend in a maintenance shop. Uh, through an, an you know a very unfortunate accident that happened, and uh, it was it was tragic. And I said to myself, you know, it's no matter what we do, this can happen. So there's uh, there's part of that in your life. You just have to realize to you have to give up on that. You do the best you can. You be as safe as you can, whether you're a mechanic or a pilot, and then move forward. The cool thing about your life, Dean, is that you've taken it really to another level. Uh, you've, you know, went from, it's kind of interesting talking about being a mechanic and not really liking it. And now that you have this passion, but you've, you've totally blown through it. I mean, you're, you're now way past it and you're, you're actually leading other people towards this passion in aircraft maintenance by going to a podcast and making a podcast called the airplane owner, uh, maintenance podcast. So, uh, tell us a little bit about that. What spurred that on? Oh, wow, man, you're making me smile on that one. I mean, smile real big because the podcast has just opened up a world of possibilities and adventures in my life that I didn't even know existed. I mean, like talking with you right now, uh, if I had not gotten into podcasting, I suppose we would not be talking right now. So I'm super grateful for that. But there are so many people out there across the country and across the world that are doing all kinds of incredible things in aviation. And I have realized recently, and you've probably seen this, Carl, that the stories are almost endless. And we can't in a lifetime exhaust telling all these stories. But I just love being a part of as many as I can. So, yeah, the podcast has enabled me to find out and get in touch with people all across the country. It's really fascinating. And so that that has been really, really rewarding and a lot of fun because as I work in the local shop, I can only help a few airplane owners. But when I record a podcast that gets recorded and it's in the can and available in the podcast apps for anybody that wants to take advantage of it night or day, I can help all kinds of people across the country. So it's been, it's been just a load of fun and very rewarding. Well, it's been rewarding for me too. I've learned a lot from your podcast, by the way, as an aircraft owner, and uh, you know, realizing that you, the other cool thing is you realize you're not alone. You know, other people have gone through the same issues. You think I'm yes. the only one that's ever had a fuel leak, and it's like, no, that's not true. You know, there's right, right. there's a lot of other folks out there, and, and absolutely. I and you've been around for so long now. You have so many different podcasts and so many different things as far as uh, airplane owner maintenance. Uh, although this is a career show, just uh, remember that if you're into into aviation, you're going to learn something from this and it'll help your career uh, later on because you might be able to explain something better by listening to that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I am just so glad you did that because it really is a, it's a wonderful podcast. One of the few that I listen to uh, aviation wise, uh, I know I'm an aviation podcaster, but uh, it, it's one of those things I look for podcasts I can learn from and that's one of them. And, and that's wow, what's important to you. me. Uh, but uh, no, it's a great, it's a great product. It's a great uh, service that you're doing uh, for people. So uh, the big things about things I've learned about uh, boroscoping and stuff, 
stuff like that. It's just awesome. Um, but well, not not to yeah. get not to get too much in the weeds <laughs> there because it's a, a career podcast. But um, yeah, one, one thing I want to stress to people is uh, as far as a career, you talked about it as a practical sense getting into this as a career as a maintenance technician. Sure. The as far as the job outlook, I know they show in growth about a three percent growth per year. Uh, you know, and per annum, uh, one of the things that uh, I want to get your feeling from where you are and your location. Do you think that uh, getting into this career field, uh, do you feel that mechanics are still going to be necessary? I, for the foreseeable future, I would think absolutely they'll be necessary. And uh, we can't always predict how the economy is going to be from, from time to time. And it seems like the, the recession is always going to come at some point. And years ago, back in the late, well, 2008 and nine, in there, uh, it was looking pretty sketchy there, and some days the ramp outside the door looked a little bit like a ghost town. But right now, the economy is really strong, and aviation is is uh, going like crazy. There's so much flight instructor instruction that's happening at our local airport. So yes, I think for the foreseeable future, there will be a large need for aviation mechanics. In fact, we have probably more working at classic aviation today and i don't own this shop i'm an employee there but uh we have more mechanics there i think than we've ever had probably well, so yes hear. it's it's strong yeah that's good to hear and uh and i think we're seeing a stronger economy ahead but we can't predict the future there's ups and downs but if you really enjoy it you'll stick, yes. stick through those those uh, ups and downs in the industry well gosh dean this has been awesome talking to you so let's uh, is there anything that we may have forgotten or or do you have any advice for some folks that are uh initially looking at this as a possible career yeah, I think one of the biggest things is when you're looking at a career of any type, and it's certainly true for aviation careers, is to find the inspiring people. And uh, the people that are listening to this have found you, Carl, and you're one of those people. So um, I, I think in in all of your specific endeavors, find that person that is such an inspiration, whether it's your flight instructor or – and don't give up just because one didn't work out. If you get a bad flight instructor, try another one. And even one maintenance shop might not work out. So find the ones that are going to really inspire you and give you the opportunities that are – that there are too many adventures out there to settle for just a status quo existence. So I, I love – if I could just mention a book that came to mind as I was thinking through this. I listened to it a while back. A guy named Waldo Waldman has a book, Never Fly Solo. And he talks about finding your wingmen, and that is the people that are going to be flying beside you, and they can see your six o'clock position, your tail, because you can't. And so that it was such an inspiring book. I think I listened to the audio book on that one. And so, yeah, find the inspiring people out there and learn all you can. It's a great adventure. Waldo Waldman, uh, uh, Never Fly Solo. We'll have a link to that. That's an awesome book. Uh, got to read the in uh, introduction. Maybe I should read the rest of the book now that you've inspired me to do that. And also, Dean, you've been an inspiration to lots of folks here. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions that come in. Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We forward all those questions to our guests. And and don't forget, they can find you uh, on the Internet as far as uh, your airplaneownermaintenance.com, uh, where you put out podcasts all the time about maintenance as an owner, but uh, not just that. As a person looking at a career in aviation, I think it's a great thing because you'll learn something more about the aircraft and about aviation maintenance in general. Dean, this has been awesome. I I'm so glad you come on. I hope you come back again. 
Oh, man, it's been a boatload of fun, Carl. Anytime you ask me to be on this podcast, I will certainly make a way to be available. (laughs) Awesome, Dean. And folks, don't forget that if you're listening right now, the most important thing that you can do, if you're interested in any of this or his story, uh, go back and replay that just so that maybe something he said might inspire you if you're having, uh, you know, a challenge in your career, etc. But look at the show notes, find some of those links. But in general, in life, you know, somebody asked me this the other day, they asked me, how is it that you produced a 780 page scholarships guide? I said, I did it one page at a time, one page only. And you know that it's just one step every day to create that guide. Just like in your career, all you need to do is just take one step. It may be large, it may be small, but do something today to move forward in your career. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.